So, Mark. Yes. I'm wondering if you've ever had this experience where you go to see a movie, and as you're watching the movie, you realize, oh, this is not the movie that I expected to be watching. Indeed I have, as I believe we all have. It is a perplexing experience. It really throws you off. Like, we discuss it, I think, in the Diary of a Mad Black Woman episode, where both of us only knew that it was a Medea movie. That is barely a Medea movie. It is barely a Medea movie, and it is much sadder than I was expecting. Also, not really about a diary. No, the diary is- Much like, I would argue, The Notebook, which is not about a notebook. I would say The Notebook is more about a notebook than Diary of a Mad Black Woman is about a diary, because at least all of The Notebook is being read from a notebook. Sure. The diary is never shown in the movie, I believe. I think it is. Yeah, there are some, like, transition shots of her writing, and they use that as an excuse for all the voiceover about the deep anguish she's feeling. Oh, yeah. I guess that is true. I don't know. Anyway, I think the worst one I've had recently is I watched the classic film Chinatown, expecting some of it, at least, to take place in Chinatown. I guess the last scene does, but I didn't expect a noir take on the early 1900s L.A. water wars transposed into the 1930s. Yeah, I mean. (laughs) I thought it would take place, you know, all in Chinatown. I thought it was like a murder mystery that was a more classic murder mystery set in a Chinatown, presumably in San Francisco, the more famous Chinatown, or New York even, but nope, not at all. I mean, you at least had the genre right. That you were like, it's like a noir mystery kind of thing. Yeah. So I knew what this week's movie was before I watched it because I looked up the runtime. But at the point that we put The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert on our schedule, I had heard of the movie and I thought that it was like a historical epic. I thought that it was going to be some kind of like high drama, overly costumed, which I guess this is a little bit, but like... (laughs) Set in, like, I don't know, the Middle East in the 1930s, and just, like... like, you were assuming it was Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, kind (laughs) of. And so, I was surprised that you really wanted to do it for the show, because that does not seem like your thing. And I was very confused when I looked it up to find out the runtime, because I expected it to be this, like, kind of ponderous three-hour endeavor. No, it is the perfect runtime of about a hundred minutes. Yeah, it's great. I mentioned when we were discussing this movie that it had an interesting non-heterosexual relationship in it. I was very surprised to hear that. (laughs) And I I guess I remember you being kind of confused about that, and I didn't really understand why. This is a very famous drag queen movie. Sure, but I only knew the title. It's a great title. It's a very good title. I'm a big fan. And I guess hearing it, no one would expect it to be a big old bus. No. That is Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. It doesn't say The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, which is the name of a bus. See, that would be a title that tells you more what it's about. (laughs) I think more titles should just tell you the plot. The whole thing? Yeah. What would be another good example of that? Chinatown, a movie where Jack Nicholson investigates the murder of the former water commissioner of L.A., I could keep going on, but I think I'm getting a little unwieldy already. No, I mean, I think it is the kind of thing where the more information you give audiences, 
the better. So basically, like, 1700s book titles. Yeah! That's what we're moving back to. Those were great book titles. I love some of those insanely long book titles. Where it's like, My Voyage to Japan, a land on the other side of the world where people have a different culture from ours and eat lots of food, and along the way, I traveled through several other regions whose details I shall include herein. Exactly. I mean, the original title of Gulliver's Travels was... Gulliver's Travels, or Travels into Several Remote Nations of the World in Four Parts by Lemuel Gulliver, first a surgeon and then a captain of several ships. That was the one I was thinking of, for sure. Where it changes his title partway through. That's got some drama. You've got a story right there. Yeah, I'm really into it. And then there's also the book with the longest title contains... 5,820 characters, or 1,022 words. Sorry, that was the number of people that are mentioned in the title? No, that is the number of letters. And it is a book about Daniel Radcliffe, written by S. Subramanian, the former principal of Dr. R.V. Arts and Science College in Karamadai, India. Sorry, this is Harry Potter Daniel Radcliffe? (laughs) Indeed. It was published in 2007. Fascinating. So those movies aren't even done yet. Nope. It contains... An eight-page pull-out section with stereoscopic color photos from the Harry Potter movies. As part of the title? No, in the book. But the title begins, Daniel Radcliffe, the story of the not-so-ordinary boy chosen from thousands of hopefuls to play the role of Harry Potter, who faced the world's media for the first time and admitted to being a tiny bit like the young wizard he will portray in the first Harry Potter film. Blah, 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 blah. This is like a bad headline. I know. And it goes on for another thousand words. Wow. Yep. Anyway, Chinatown. Not about Chinatown. All right. I'm sorry to hear that. Forget it. It's not Chinatown. Whoa. Anyway, welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is a podcast where we face the unknown. Just like Daniel Radcliffe. (laughs) Exactly. We go for the unexpected, the unexplained. We have to answer these important questions. Most particularly, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and we will see what is there. This week, our investigation takes us overseas once more, this time to Australia. So not Hollywood. Our first Australian film, I believe. That is correct. We're looking at Stephen Elliott's 1994 queer road trip movie, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Not a period piece set in the Middle East. No, there is no... I guess there is a dramatic feint in it. Yeah, there is a dramatic element to it. No, no, literally a dramatic feint. There's I expected dram- someone oh. to like collapse from the heat and the drama of There's- what was happening in the Middle East between the wars. And we do have a big feint we when Terrence Stamp sees Hugo Weaving's kid. And then Hugo Weaving when he sees his kid in the audience. There's two! This is basically the movie I thought it was going to be. Yeah, basically. So, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, tells the story of... A bus. A bus. I love buses. (laughs) Tells the story of Tick, who is a drag queen, Mitski the Magnificent, who is driving to Alice Springs out in the Northern Territories of Australia, from Sydney, to perform at a casino, and he asks along his friend Bernadette, who is a retired trans woman who used to be in Lay Girls, which is a real famous Sydney cabaret, like all-male, female-impersonating cabaret, and the young Guy Pierce playing Adam. A very young Guy Pierce, Felicia. And the three of them are taking about, I think, like, about a week plus to make this drive 
It's quite a drive. It is 29 hours of road time now, according to Google. I was about to check. I don't know what it is back then. 25 years ago. Yeah, they may have changed the roads, who knows, but it is through the middle of absolute nowhere. Will got Mad Max vibes because they filmed it there. Yeah, I mean, George Miller is Australian. Yeah. I think they, didn't they film it in the Outback too? Yeah. Like all of them. Mm -hmm. Back to the first one. So it is a great movie and I enjoy it, even though it has a very, very uncomfortable middle part with a Thai woman. (laughs) Yes, there is an unfortunate middle section. I believe she's Filipino, actually. Is she? Yeah. Well, it's okay because the name on her DVD is written, I believe, in Japanese. Really? (laughs) So no one knows. What? Yeah. The name on her what? Like, not, or VHS. Oh, okay. There's like a tape of her stuff or something. I missed that. Yeah. Her name was written somewhere, like on the wall or something. And I think it was also written in Japanese. So who knows what was going on? Racism. Yes. And it's got the whole like ping pong ball thing. Is that a thing? I saw it first in a Mad TV parody of Memoirs of a Geisha. Oh. So I think it exists. And I believe it probably comes from, like, the Vietnam War era. Probably. Sounds like that. Yeah, that was unfortunate, because besides that, this movie is very sweet. It's very, like, shocking to see a nuanced performance of a trans woman in 1994. By a straight man. Better than some more modern takes, for sure, I'd say. Because it's also interesting that this movie deals with the transphobia of the drag community, which is a pretty hot topic these days. Yeah, I knew that as a recent thing, but this is not a community I know a lot about. Right, so you hear a lot about it, especially with, like, RuPaul's Drag Race, but you get some transphobia out of Adam towards Bernadette. Yeah, this again is Adam played by a very young Guy Pearce. How young was he when they made this? So he's hired off of an Australian soap opera at this point. The show was named Snowy River. It was one of several soap operas that Guy Pearce appeared on. At this point... Did you just say appeared on? You can't prove what I just said. I mean, I can. We are recording it. Uh, I don't know about that. So in 1994, he would have been 27. And this is only the third movie... That he appeared in and his first with a really substantial role. It's interesting how all three of them, I don't know how big at the time they all were, but they all went on to have very successful careers. Sure. Terrence Stamp had already been in Superman 2. Okay. Where he plays General Zod. Yeah, he's the biggest deal for sure. Yeah, well, and he also is an important get because this movie was heavily financed by the Australia... Film Finance Corporation, which is run by the Australian government. And one of the requirements of that subsidy was that they could only hire one non-Australian actor. Oh. And they got Terrence Stamp. That's a good move. It is a good move. And they looked at other people. They talked about getting Tony Curtis, John Cleese. At one point, Tim Curry was considered for it. I don't think John Cleese would have been good in this. No. At all. Terrence Stamp is great because he has that sort of, like, venerable actor vibe that he channels into this woman with a lot of dignity that is not always respected. And so what, in Terrence Stamp, like, say, when he's in The Phantom Menace, comes off as stiffness, here comes off as a kind of resilience. Right, and a built-up defense mechanism to living in a terrible world, experiencing bigotry not only from the straight community, but from the gay community, too. Like, this woman's been through a lot. It is worth noting that we said these three guys all have some major roles after this. It's worth noting a number of major movies shoot around Australia after this. 
The Phantom Menace was shot in Australia and hired a lot of Australian actors, although Terrence Stamp is not one. But then, of course, Lord of the Rings shot in Australia and New Zealand with Hugo Weaving as Elrond. Although Guy Pearce, I guess his big American breakout beyond this would be Memento. Right. This movie clearly loves Australia. Yeah. Like, the Outback. The shots of just how beautiful the Outback are and also all the lizards are some of my favorite things. The lizards are my favorite character. This is a great lizard movie. If you are pro-lizard, watch this movie. So not only are the lizards great, there are lizard outfits in this movie. There are multiple lizards. Like, species, too. Some of those great, like, spiny lizards. Yeah. The one that is just entirely covered in horns. I love that. Love that guy. And then they play the basilisk lizards eating an emu during the final drag performance. (laughs) So here's my question about the emu costumes. Yes. Do you go to your costume designer and say, hi, we need an emu costume? Or do you just tell your costume designer, go nuts, and then see what they come back with? In this case, I believe that it was probably the latter. Yeah. I feel like this is a movie where they would trust the costume designer and just be like, you just have fun and design all these drag costumes. I mean, you have to because so much of it is about these elaborate costumes. Very elaborate. Yeah. The giant, like, silver fabric blowing in the wind. Can you oh my imagine? gosh, off the top of the bus? Yeah, can you imagine how much fabric that is? It's a lot. It's longer than the bus. It was insane. It looks really cool. It's a great shot. At one point, they're driving the bus down the highway, and there's basically this giant silver sail streaming off of the enormous stiletto heel that they have mounted on the back of the bus. Right, with Felicia riding on top of it. Yeah. This movie does not have good road safety, though. No, not even a little bit. No seatbelts, drinking and driving, distracted driving, emotional driving, people on top of a bus. And on top of that, the bus is so cramped inside that crew members are sitting underneath all the piles of clothes and stuff because there's no other way for them to be out of the shot. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. I do love that they took the time to install a tanning bed in this bus. That's a great bit. I love this movie. We've been talking about the costumes. That is where a lot of the acclaim for this movie comes in terms of awards. It premiered at the Cannes Film Festival in 1994, where it won the Prix du Public and also won the Costume Design Award, the same award that it would win at the Academy Awards the next year. It also won that award at the BAFTAs and from the Australian Film Awards, the AACTAs. And there it was also nominated for Best Film, Best Direction, Best Screenplay, cinematography, score, and actor for both Terrence Stamp and Hugo Weaving. Wow. Terrence Stamp was also nominated for a Golden Globe for this movie, and he lost to our old buddy Hugh Grant for Four Weddings and a Funeral. Watching this movie, I thought about The Birdcage, which was around the same era, and then you also I think it's like two years later. Yeah, and then you also have Tu Wong Fu, which is basically an American version of this movie. So they were shooting at the same time. Really? Yes. How? Tu Wong Fu is not an American remake of this movie, and there was a point during production of this where each movie was like trying to figure out what the other one was to make sure that they weren't going to steal each other's thunder. There is an American movie called Tu Wong Fu with love from Julie Newmar, I believe is the full title, and it is about three American drag queens going on a road trip and dealing with the homophobia of smaller towns so we've got that twin movie phenomenon again yeah anyway i find it interesting in the 90s i think that with like stonewall and moving forwards as it's becoming kind of more mainstreamed drag becomes an interesting it is still a very subversive act but there are elements of drag that become more known especially like 
famous celebrity impersonation. And also, I think in the 1990s, one of the reasons that these things become more visible has to do with the deliberate activism during the AIDS crisis of making the gay community more visible to Americans. So I just find it interesting that this birdcage with that drag becomes the way of making the community visible in film. And I think part of that might also just be like the spectacle that is drag being an interesting medium to incorporate into film. You get to do really fun sequences if you're incorporating drag. Right. So I just found that interesting that this came out around the same time with kind of similar usage of drag in a way. I think drag is also an interesting mechanism for telling stories about people who have a version of themselves that they present to the public that is different from the version that they might feel at other times and in what scenarios they can represent different elements of their personality. Yeah, that is true. It provides for a like in-movie literal two-face, like double character. Exactly. Um, so that's basically like the plot is not that intricate. Yeah, the plot is basically they they are in Sydney and they're going on a road trip to small town northern Australia to put on a couple weeks show. This movie was a big hit in Australia. Like we said, well received in terms of awards. It made $18 million in Australia, which is a good performance. That's a much smaller film market. It actually made 11 in the US, which is very good. Yeah, that's a lot of money in 1994. Especially coming on a $2 million budget. Yeah. Mostly subsidized by the government. Right. It becomes a big hit, a major Australian film export in establishing that in the 1990s, kind of culminating in the 2000 Sydney Olympics, when during the closing ceremony, a large bus with a giant stiletto heel on the top of it took a lap around the Olympic Stadium, surrounded by stiletto tricycle floats and drag queens in blue wigs. Oh my god, I had no idea that happened. You should look up video of the 2000 closing ceremonies. That's crazy. I love it. Oh no, there's an ad. Get out of here, ad. It's a five-minute ad. Have you ever heard about Grammarly? I have heard about (laughs) Grammarly. God damn it. I hate it. The only people who pay for YouTube TV are people who never want to hear about Grammarly again. I don't know why Grammarly ads in particular drive me insane, but they do. Because the product seems stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is part of it. The suggestions they have in the commercial are also like... Not great. No. Like, they're not giving great grammar suggestions. One of my students got it, and she was like, yeah, it's bad. I, I can't believe someone's paid for that. Isn't it weird how niche ads are? Like, there are things that are only podcast ads. Grammarly only exists on YouTube. Yeah. That's why it's always weird when, like, Bud Light advertises on a Ringer podcast. <laughs> yeah, I don't get it at all. I think podcast ads might be the most effective. They're the ones I think of the most. I use Harry's razors. Right. It's weird how that in particular seems to be raising awareness. That's it's how because everyone... you hear the same one over and over again. Yeah, I guess it's just the repetition from, like, less competition. Yeah. Anyway, Sydney, great closing ceremonies. Should we start talking about the romance? Yeah, let's do it. It's not a huge part of the movie, but I think it's a very interesting part of it. It's movie. a nice romance. I was it's... really surprised by it. I will say, because, again, I had really very little clue of what I was getting into when I watched this movie, that as we were sitting down to watch it, by this point I knew, like, it was about Australian drag queens. Yeah. And that was it. You mentioned that, like, oh, it was a really good romance. And we get, like, almost halfway through the movie, and I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> I could notice you start to, like, get confused, I think. I was enjoying it. Yeah. I just wasn't sure what we were going to do. So my notes are things like, possibly the best title drop ever. 
Yeah, I did really like it. They never say The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and Priscilla is a Bus, which is the full title of a movie. But they do say Priscilla, Queen of the Desert when they christen the bus, smashing a champagne bottle on it. And that's pretty great. Yeah, I don't think you can actually eke out The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. It's when you get to the casino and Hugo Weaving's wife is like, so what's been going on? And he's like, oh, you want to know The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert? God, that would be terrible. That's how you do it. It is how you do it. Yeah, so I think the reason I enjoy the romance of this so much is that it's just nice and has a happy ending and there's no real drama involved. Yeah. It's just so rare to see in the story of an, let alone, like, a trans woman, but the fact that she's also old. You don't get a lot of just, like, older romances that are nice in movies. That is true. And if you do, it's like a Nancy Myers movie. Yeah. Which have their place. Right. But it's nice to have something different from that. Just something where it's a small plot, small B plot that doesn't come up much. But there's just like a nice little romance that blossoms between two characters. Okay, so every week we take the romance of a movie and we break it down into five points that help us to talk about it and its themes and what's going on and all that good stuff. So Mark, why don't you take it away, guide us through the romance of The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, where Priscilla is a bus by walking us through these points. All right, so point number one. After driving for a while, the bus, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, breaks down in the middle of nowhere. First, And at this point, they've taken a shortcut because Hugo Weaving is like, I know where we're going. Yeah, and you knew exactly what was going to happen, right? They were going to get to the place faster. <laughs> exactly. That's always how shortcuts work out. So they get lost and they break down. As a, as a DM in Dungeons and Dragons, I know that shortcuts are always about getting things moving faster. That is true. In the world of Dungeons and Dragons, shortcuts tend to work because the DM is bored with walking. Exactly. So I just thought of Hugo Weaving as the DM of this journey. Anyway, they break down. First, Bernadette goes for a, like, hours-long walk and finds a couple who are willing to help because Bernadette is dressed in, like, you know, normal She is dressed as a woman. She's dressed as a woman. She's wearing, like, a nice outfit with a hat. And they see her and they're like, oh, like, we'll help you out. We'll drive you. You've got a hat. Right, you've got a hat. So they drive, they get to the bus, and Guy Pierce, Adam slash Felicia, is shirtless, but with boobs drawn on his body in purple paint. Or, it's not purple, it's lavender. Which is, like, unusual. And Mitski is in full costume, no this, makeup like, or wig. flowing green and black. He looks like he just got out of, like, a community theater production of Wicked. Right, but he's not wearing a wig or makeup or anything because he's just rehearsing and they're so excited to see these people they're really nice but the couple sees that they are gay and just drives away no and leaves them stranded in the middle of nowhere so then they get rescued by like an aboriginal guitar circle yeah basically they're just driving around having a party in the middle of the night and one of them finds these three performers rehearsing Sitting around a fire and he rescues them brings them they put him in drag during the guitar circle that has I Will Survive, the Australian remix. So Hugo Weaving's headdress during this was giving me some real Midsummer vibes. Yes, it's giant floral headdress. I was getting really concerned that he was going to put one of those dudes in a bear costume. That would be different connotations in this community. True, I had not (laughs) thought of that. So they have a good time, and then the Australians help them get to... A town where Bob, the local mechanic, drives out to help them fix the bus. This is Bob, played by Bill Hunter. 
another Australian actor. So they get the bus back to one of the many small towns with an entirely incomprehensible name to me. They just sound like a bunch of random, like, syllables strewn together. But I think the problem is they're supposed to be English words. But I just don't understand what they're saying, so I can never remember them. But they get to this town, and he agrees to help fix their bus and lets them stay with him. And this is where we get the unfortunate character, Cynthia, who is Bob's wife. Yeah, so Bob is, like, really friendly helping them out. He's like, these are all of the things that are wrong with your bus. Yeah. Your gas tank is shot. Some of the other pieces don't work. And mechanical items are not functioning correctly. I don't know if you know this, Mark. I am an expert in the functioning of automobiles, but I'm trying to make it accessible for you. Oh, of course. Thank you. you yeah. Know, I know very little. So Bob is explaining all of it, and he's like, we could maybe get you a new gas tank in, like, a week. And Hugo Weaving is like, no good. They have to be at the casino in six days. So that's bad. So Bob is like, well, I can fix you up a little bit and maybe it will run. Yep. And so he does. They stay with him. He has them perform in the local pub. He had been to Sydney as a young man and seen delay girls and it's like these are the best yeah so he is really into drag and assumes that everyone else is for some reason he's such a sweet guy but so dumb he's so dumb but everyone is kind of they're not like heckling or anything they're just clearly bored during the performance and confused and confused they're just like what is the appeal of just these people lip-syncing yeah i guess is the vibe you get but in the back is just bob alone like, screaming his heart out. Having the time of his life. And it's, like, good for Bob. Yeah. And so they perform. You get a lot of Cynthia stuff. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, I don't really want to go into it. Just, yeah. It's so painful. But then Cynthia leaves Bob, rightly. She should not be with him. They should not be together. It is bad for both of them. And Bob decides that... What's the deal with how Cynthia and Bob got married? He... I th- he was, like... I think it's like a blackout drunk thing where they sign the paperwork and he then has the legal right to bring her back to Australia. So he does because he married her. Yeah, he feels like he has to. He feels like he has to. And she thought he lived in Sydney, so... So she's like, get to the city and then do whatever. Right. But instead she winds up living in the middle of nowhere. Right. Where she has the hit of the local bar. Yes. Anyway, she leaves him. And then Bob is like, I got nothing else going on. I'll be your traveling mechanic. I'll ride along and fix your bus every time it breaks down, which is often. Right. They bought this bus for like $10,000. It is a full bus. Like it is not a a VW bus. bus. It's an old school bus. Where they like ripped out a bunch of the seats. Right. When I was growing up on my way from my parents' house to school, this is when I'm in like middle school, there was this ice cream truck for sale. Cheap. I don't remember what it was. It was obviously much more than I could have afforded in middle school. But even then, I was aware, like, that is not a lot of money. All right, Rupert Grint. This is the thing. My friends and I were always talking about how, like, we needed to buy the ice cream chunk. And then we would road trip around in it. You, like, rip out some of the stuff, leave the freezer in so you can store food or ice cream. And just put in, like, a couch in the back. And then if you ever get bored, you can drive around in neighborhoods and hand out ice cream. Does sound kind of fun. Yeah, it'd be great. The story of getting the bus I find hilarious about how Adam tells his parents that if they buy him this bus and he spends time out in the wilderness, it might knock him out of this phase. And he might meet a nice country girl. Yeah. So they buy him a bus. And uh, he does not get out of the phase. No, surprisingly They're going to be really disappointed. Yeah. It sounds like Adam has very rich parents. Oh, definitely. Which I think is reflected in his attitudes and how he engages with a lot of stuff. Oh, 100%. He's that rambunctious, like, rich kid that never learned consequences and just likes to get a rise out of people. Yeah, whereas, say, Bernadette, 
has obviously experienced a lot of hardship in her life. Right. Starting with, I mean, the movie starts with her partner's death. Yeah. Her 25-year-old partner who has a fetish for trans women, but is nice. And, and he goes by trumpet. Needs. Yeah. And he dies by peroxiding his hair in an unventilated room. So don't do that. Yes. This is a public service announcement. PSA. Make sure you can breathe fresh air while dyeing your hair. But that had like a nice rhyme to it. Mm-hmm. I'm really great at PSAs. That's amazing. Don't do drugs. The more you know. I thought about that. All right. Anyway, Bob decides to tag along. And they're just, you know, making their way to Alice Springs, which brings us to point number two. They are in another small town whose name I don't remember. Uh, You know, just small Australian town. Mining town. Do you want to name it? Not really. Okay. I feel like it had a great name. It was basically a, like, Cowabunga-esque name. And... Is it Cooper Petty? I think this one is Cooper Petty. According to Wikipedia, that is a town they go to. Yeah. Yeah, that's just the one, Cooper Petty. Yeah, so it's a small mining town. It seems even smaller than the one Bob is from. Yeah, because Bob's town had a bar, and this town has, like, a pit that people drink around. Yep. You want to go down to the pit and uh, get some booze? This is like in uh, Ma, the Octavia Spencer movie, where the kid's just, like, drinking... Like some ruins. Yep. And so Bob is like, you guys, this place in particular, you can't be seen. Just stay in the hotel. Don't go out. I'm going to go see some friends of mine. And then Guy Pierce is like, what if instead I did drugs? (laughs) Yes. What Mark just said not to do. Exactly. And then went out. In drag. Basically looking like 70s Mary Jane Watson. Exactly. That's, I'm pretty sure, the exact inspiration for that. I would believe it. Yeah. But while this is happening, Bernadette and Tick, or Anthony, I think his real name is, are having a nice dinner. And this is the first mention where Tick is just like, oh, so Bob's pretty- What's going on with you? You Pretty nice, huh? You thanked him for being a gentleman earlier. Yeah. He's not going on a lot, but- No one has said that platonically ever. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like, "Eh, eh, wink, wink, and- before they can get further into this. And Bernadette's kind of like, what are you talking about? Oh, no. Please. No. But then you see Adam getting chased by a group of men who are attempting to rape and or murder him, it seems. Yeah. Unclear which, but definitely violence. Absolutely. And so Bob... Bob rescues him. Has to rescue him. And I think Bernadette, like, kicks Ber- a guy in the balls. Yeah, Bernadette's the one who actually beats up the assaulter. Right. While Bob is protecting Adam. And then they leave that town. Good riddance to Cooper Petty. Cooper Petty. Cooper Petty. Two words. Cooper Petty. Um, and so, yeah. It sounds like the name of, like, a newspaper comic character. It does. Cooper Petty. Child reporter. <laughs> there we go. Done. Is that the yellow kid's name? I don't know. Cooper Petty. It could be. I don't be. know who the yellow kid is. Oh, the yellow kid Sounds is, like, racist. the original newspaper comic oh, character. Oh, okay. Like, yellow journalism? Yeah. Is from newspapers that ran the Yellow Kid. Oh, I had no idea. And I just watched Citizen Kane. It's the original newspaper comic. You learn something new every day. So anyway, point three, they are camping out for a night in the bus and they're all hanging out, having marshmallows around a fire. Bob has been like super friendly. He's like, I'll just sleep on the roof of the bus. I don't even care. I'm just a nice guy. 
That's all Bob is, though, is <laughs> just a nice guy. I'm just a nice guy who'll do whatever you need. And so they're sitting Bob up. is the NPC who the DM introduces when he realizes that the party is too much of a disaster to get anything done. Yeah, I'd believe that. This is a very fun D&D movie, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> They're just going on an adventure, encountering NPCs who are either helping or hurting them. They encounter hostile people that they can try to talk their way out of or fight them. Right. Wow. I never thought about it that way. Yeah. Basically is a This is a D&D campaign. campaign. So after they've finished eating dinner, Antony Tick looks at Bernadette and is like, wink, wink. Bernadette's like nods and Tig is like I'm going to bed everybody everybody hear me going to bed Adam do you want to go to bed too and shockingly Adam just nods and goes to bed instead of making a scene and as they're going Tig keeps looking around and being like I'm going to bed I'm leaving you two alone yeah it's very subtle it's a great subtle performance and then Bernadette is like you want some cake yeah. And so they cut to black, and the next morning, Antony finds them asleep on the ground. Bernadette is asleep on the cake. And he makes a classic, I've waited my whole life to say this, Bernadette, you've left your cake out in the rain. Everyone Which- loves those MacArthur Park references. <laughs> Do you know that song? Yeah. Okay. Uh, specifically, I know it because Weird Al did a parody of it called Jurassic Park. Ah, of course. And that is my middle school listening. Yes. I know the Donna Summer version. I do not know the like 10 minute folk ballad that that comes from where if you listen to that, you understand the cake being out in the rain. So I still don't get why that cake is out in the rain. I only know the Weird Al lyrics. Yeah. I feel like they can't get that much weirder than the original. Well, they're just about Jurassic Park. Yeah. (laughs) That's the thing. They're not weird. They're a plot summary of Jurassic Park. (laughs) That makes a lot more sense. The first lines of the song are like, someone left a cake out in the rain. Jurassic Park is frightening in the dark. Yeah. Anyway, they- I'm afraid those things will harm me because they sure don't act like Barney and they think that I'm their dinner and not their friend. Pretty great lyrics. Yeah, they're good. (laughs) So- The two of them stay up all night talking. They fall asleep outside. It's very cute. They're just kind of... Kind of sheepish when they wake up. flirting, sheepish. They're not addressing it at all. And this brings us to point number four. They finally make it to Alice Springs. We've got to talk about Sarah Chadwick as Marion Barber. The best character in this movie? An incredible character in this movie. So this is Hugo Weaving's wife. Hugo Weaving plays... Tick, he's one of our drag queens, he's been living in Sydney, but we learned that this casino where they've been booked is owned by his wife. Who just needs a act and is like, oh, I'll just call my husband, who I haven't seen in a while. Yeah, couple of years. Yeah, and so it's very clear from the beginning that she basically knows he's gay and is a drag queen, and yeah. they decide to get married anyway. Sounds like for money reasons. I think that might be it. Uh, Is she lesbian? I think she's queer. There's a reference to her having a girlfriend. Yeah. Because they are so cool together. Right. They're just. (laughs) They meet each other like husband, wife, what's up? They're just best friends. It's to me, it seems that they are just best friends that got married for money reasons. Had sex at least once. Decided to have sex at least once. And she got pregnant. And Hugo Weaving entity freaked out and moved to Sydney. Or yeah, I think it probably went that way. Yeah. He's definitely seen the kid before. Yes. But he is not a parent in any way. Anyway, she's awesome. And she runs this casino. She's like this single woman raising her son. High energy in a good way. High energy, super fun, nice to everyone. I love her. 
I feel like you guys already know what one of the answers to the final questions will be. Yeah, obviously. So in Alice Springs, Bob is Bernadette's number one fan. He brings her flowers in her, like... Dressing room, basically. Dressing room. It's so sweet. He's a cute man. And it's clearly becoming more than just, like, sheepish flirting. It's very nice. Yeah. And then that's basically point four. He's very supportive. They put on a show. Bob cheers. Yeah. It's not overly well received except by... Marion. Marion. Bob. And... Baby Benjamin. And Baby Benjamin. And Bob not only brought her the flowers before the show, after the show, he grabs the flowers from the dressing room and takes them up to Bernadette's room. He's like, I want to make sure you have these. Aww. So they have their adventures in Alice Springs. You get to see a full performance. It is surreal. It is quite something. This is when the lizard costumes come in. The emus and lizards and finally the, like, Rococo powdered wigs that have lights inside. They climb up King's Canyon. Right. Adam has had a dream since he was a kid to climb King's Canyon in, like, full drag. And so they do. In the original script, this was Uluru. But as you can imagine, they could not get permits to do that. Yes. So they changed it to King's Canyon. Yeah, that's what I figured. I was watching. I was just like, I wonder if this was supposed, like... I'm surprised this wasn't Uluru. Yeah, Australian dreams, climbing a big mountain. Yeah. Your first pick is not King's Canyon. Yeah. And while they're there, Tick bonds with his son. His son is basically like, yeah, I know you're gay and I don't care. Like, whatever. Get yourself a boyfriend. Yeah, it's like, why are you single? That's the weirder thing. That's the thing I will not accept. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm embarrassed that my dad can't find a man. Yeah, basically. The kid is great. We need, like, a Sleepless in Seattle situation where the kid just sets his dad up. And in the end, he probably ends up back with Marion, who's getting over the breakup with her most recent girlfriend. Yeah. But then we get to point five, which is the last real scene of the movie. They're packed up and leaving Alice Springs. They've done their two-week stint, and they're heading out. Going back to Sydney. Except... They're boarding the bus and Bernadette's not with them. What? They're just like, where is Bernadette? She hasn't where even Where did loaded. you go, Bernadette? <laughs> the longest f***ing trailer in the here's world. Here's the thing. The trailer for Where Do You Go, Bernadette, which by now, the film has been released. But the trailer feels like it's six or seven minutes long. It is a normal length trailer. It is just terribly edited. It. I hate it. I know. I'm so mad at this movie. I went and saw two movies in one day last week and saw it in neither and i was very excited yeah because it is death like cloud atlas had a six minute trailer cloud atlas needed a six minute trailer it had six stories in it where do you go bernadette is just like a lady is weird and then she goes out the window and goes to antarctica there we go trailer done yep Ugh. anyway where did bernadette go bernadette comes out no bags and they're just like Are you serious? Get your stuff on board. We need to leave. And she's just like, I'm not going. By now, we already know that Bob is not leaving. Right. Because Bob is now in the shirt of employees at the casino. Yeah. He has a name tag. Yeah, Bob's taking a job. He's moved to the big city of Alice Springs. I'm so happy for Bob in that moment. I am too. He's got a new life. He's not with Cynthia, who was terrible with him. He's in a place where it seems that he is going to fit in better. Yeah, because... Marion is also really happy and friendly. Yeah. And Bernadette says that she's taking over as the entertainment arranger. Booker coordinator. Booker coordinator for this casino. And she's going to try to maintain things with Bob. It's just Bernadette has got a new job and she's trying to make it work with this man. And there's a tearful goodbye between Bernadette and Anthony. He's happy for her, but he's sad that she's not going with him. And then you get 
a performance by Antony and Adam as Mitski and Felicia to ABBA, which has been referenced multiple times throughout the movie. Particularly that Tick, Hugo Weaving, does not care for ABBA at all. We know that... No, Bernadette... Right, I'm sorry. ...is the one... Bernadette does not like ABBA and is annoyed that everyone is obsessed with them. She'll refuse to perform their stuff. Benjamin, Hugo Weaving's son, is really into ABBA. And it's like, like, yo, Dad, are you going to do some ABBA? That would be awesome. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, sure. It's basically like, am I going to bring this child to my nightclub act? The answer is yes. Yes. So you end it with them doing Mamma Mia and Benjamin's working the lights. Yay. With a real adult doing the work, but he's there helping. He's kind of holding on to the follow spot. Yeah. It's very cute. And that's the end of the movie. Yay! All right, Will. After watching all of this unfold, do you find the romance believable? I do. I do too. Yeah. Bob and Priscilla, excuse me. (laughs) Bob and the bus? (laughs) Great friends. I mean, to be clear, you know I love buses. Yes. Buses are the best. Public transportation rules. I ride the bus every day. Huge fan of the bus. Bob and Bernadette, I think, are really sweet together. They're very cute. I mean, the most, like, the biggest factor of unbelievability in this is that the odds of them meeting up in the middle of this very small town are like more unlikely i mean he's the mechanic but the fact that he is the mechanic really makes sense and he is just getting out of a terrible relationship so it's good that he is moving on but i also like the way that they fit with each other where like bob is this like positive warm accepting person that bernadette who is very guarded can feel comfortable being more vulnerable with. Yeah, she's finally able to open up to a person who is not just... It's clear that Bob likes Bernadette, and Bob is not just into Bernadette for... It's not like a fetish. The weird sex thing. Yeah. Like, for his own, like, fetishization of this actual human. Like, he loves the person that she is. This is a terrific Terrence Stamp performance. It's great. Bernadette is unbelievably good. Yeah, I love Bernadette. So every week we rate the romance of the movie we're talking about on a 10-point scale, where zero is we don't believe any of the romantic things that happen. Ten is we believe all of it. Where would you rank The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, where Priscilla is a bus? I'm going high. I think so. Like a nine or a ten? Yeah, I, I think that's about right. Yeah. I mean, it's like maybe just like the odds of anyone meeting in the outback are pretty low because it is the outback. It is famous for being <laughs> empty and vast. Yeah. So I could do a nine for this. Yeah. Great. I mean, this movie is really nice. It's a very nice movie. Yeah. It is not like a cynical or depressing movie at all. It ends super happy. The most abrasive thing is Cynthia, who is mercifully not in a lot of it. Yeah. And like understanding the context of Australia is also sadly not surprising. Yeah. But it's just like everyone is just so nice. I mean, Adam's a little shit. Adam's a jerk. I think the worst of it. work. Is the way that he keeps using Bernadette's dead name. Yeah, that's really uncomfortable, but also kind of makes sense, and hopefully he grows out of it. I like to think that it's possible. Yeah. Alternatively, one day he suffers a severe bout of memory loss such that he can only remember the last couple minutes of his life. So he has to tattoo everything he knows on his body so that he can keep track of things. He needs lots of tattoos. Indeed. And then, one day he fights Iron Man. (laughs) Anyway, do you think Bernadette and Bob are dateable? I'd say probably, yeah. Yeah, I think both of them are. Bob especially. Bernadette might have some, like, emotional guardedness that would be hard to overcome. But if you overcame it, definitely. 
But especially Bob. But especially Bob. He's just a nice guy. There's yeah. not much character to him besides that. And he can fix your car. And he can fix your car for free. Do you think they would stay together? I like to think they would. I truly hope so. I, like, hope that Bernadette and Bob make a living at this casino and, like, get an apartment together. I feel like Bob would never leave her. I don't think Bernadette would want to leave someone. Like, she's suffered through worse romances in the past just for the idea of having someone. Yeah. So I hope that she holds on to this good one. I think these are people where inertia, if nothing else, would likely keep them together. But I hope that it would be something better. Exactly. I think we already answered this one. If you had to pick a person to date, who would it be? Marion! The owner of the Lassiter Hotel and Casino in Alice Springs, Australia. She's the coolest. She is incredible. Last question, Mark. Yes. This has happened to many of the movies we've covered. Should the adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, be made into a musical? I think road trips are a bad idea for a musical. Too bad! They already did it! (laughs) Oh, God. In 2006... Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, they got rid of the Avengers part, premiered in Sydney. It has had productions in many countries, including a Broadway production in 2011. I Like, you can make it work, but I feel like the road trip is best suited for a movie. One would think. Because you need a lot of different places. Yeah. All right. It is a jukebox musical where, like, all the songs are songs that they would theoretically be performing in their shows. That's what I figured. Anyway, I think that about does it. This is a great movie. It is. It's a good movie. Looking ahead, next week we'll be talking about one of the last of the mega-hit rom-coms, 2009's The Proposal, starring Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds. I have not seen this. I'm very excited to, because I've heard good things. I have not seen it in many years. It made a crap ton of money. It was huge. Yeah, this is also a big deal because for Sandra Bullock, this is the same year as The Blind Side. Or maybe it's the year after, but it's like right there and within a 12-month window. Yeah. Isn't she older than Ryan Reynolds, too? Yes, quite a bit. Which is also cool to see in a rom-com. It's very cool. So I'm excited. Santa Bullock, very cool. Yeah, I'm excited to talk more about it. Yeah. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love to Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovetolovepod at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Last question, Mark. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, where Priscilla is a bus? Be nice. That's all it took for Bob. (laughs) He was just a nice guy. I was going to say, ride a bus until someone cool also appears at your bus. Yeah, date a mechanic. Which is what Bernadette does. (laughs) Or date a mechanic. Yeah, there you go. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye! Jurassic Park is frightening in the dark